Hi, it's Megan. Before we get to the conversation, I want to tell you about an exciting event coming up in Los Angeles. It's a debate brought to you by the Free Press that poses the question, has the sexual revolution failed? On one side is Louise Perry, the author and podcaster, along with Anna Kachian of the Red Scare podcast. On the other side is my co-host from my other podcast, Sarah Hader, along with the musician Grimes. It's moderated by Barry Weiss, and it's happening on September 13th at the Ace Theater in downtown LA at 7 p.m. For tickets and information, go to VFP, that's FP as in freepress.com slash debates. I'll be in the audience peering through my fingers, and I'd love to see you there, if I can see you through my fingers. I had been not good at a food service, and somehow, for whatever reason, I was okay with that. (laughs) But then, when I moved to Los Angeles, it was just, it's not an option. I mean, people are professionals here, people are extremely good at it, and uh, so I was put into the back of a bakery loading trucks in at night. And not that that's a great job to be grateful for. Um, if you can lean, you can clean. I always make me laugh when <laughs> comedians who are canceled will say like, what else could I do? What, a, what a, I've been a comic for 40 years. Almost anything. You can do almost anything. Dick Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Unspeakable Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Down. We are back from our little summer break. And uh, before I introduce our amazing guest, Maria Bamford, whose voice you just heard, two very quick announcements. They are about the unspeakeasy, of course. The first thing is that our one-day retreat is coming up in Denver on Saturday, September 30th. And that includes a comedy show, a little party and comedy show. So we're going to have the women's retreat during the day, and that's featuring guest speaker Jennifer Say and um, probably another surprise guest speaker as well. And then a party and comedy show that evening for everyone. That is a ticketed event, but it's included in your retreat fee. So keep that in mind. I'm really looking forward to that. Also, our super luxe retreat in the Poconos, October 23rd through 26th, featuring guest speaker Kat Rosenfield, is almost full. But if you want to try to get in on it, do so now by going to theunspeakeasy.com. That's where you find out about all our retreats as well as the online community. By the way, the retreats are separate from the online community. You do not have to belong to that to come to a retreat, though you should belong because it's awesome and I'm always in there. Okay, this week's guest is comedian Maria Bamford. Yes, you heard that right. She is a famous comedian and she is here. Maria has too many credits to cover here, especially because I'm going to lighten up on these long introductions. But suffice it to say, she has had numerous comedy specials. She was the star of the series Lady Dynamite, based on her own life. She has a new book out just this week called Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, which we're going to talk about. A quick note, toward the end of the interview, you'll hear me refer to the first episode of Lady Dynamite. And I'm actually describing some scenes that are in her Netflix special, Old Baby, which is um, amazing. That left such an impression on me that I sort of mapped it onto Lady Dynamite. So I misspoke there. Correction, those are two separate things. Maria is known for being very open about her OCD and other mental health struggles. And we talk about that as well as about financial anxiety, a favorite topic of mine. 
and her involvement in Debtors Anonymous. For paying subscribers, Maria stays overtime to talk about aging, dating, going to Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous. So if you want to hear that portion and you're not already a paying subscriber, go to megandown.substack.com to hear that part as well. So in the meantime, here is this very, very fun conversation with Maria Bamford. Maria Bamford, welcome to The Unspeakable. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I, I, are there things that are unspeakable? Um, I, I hope not. Um, but <laughs> out here, many places, however, yes. many, many places. Um, yeah. yeah, I know it's a little bit of a hyperbolic title, but it, I have a book called The Unspeakable, so oh. that's why this podcast is named that. Yes, and then it just became like a a, a branding thing. That's not well. And I have it's, a it's, brand. That's nice. Well, you got to And then also you, it actually opens it up that you could talk about everything uh, right. because it's very, um, it's, it's a wide berth. Yes. Wide berth. Yes. Yes. Um, um, yeah. So uh, speaking of which, I don't know how, if this is, if that's any good of a segue, but um, <laughs> we met in the dog park. Yes. Which is fitting because there's a bit of a group dynamic there. And yes. you have written a book about the concept of groups. Yes. Uh, I love a group of any kind, especially if there's some sort of binding element. We, I, I don't know if you've gotten one of those stickers, but the Farns Wolf yes. sticker. I don't know if we want to give it away because we don't want to be doxxed. Well, I mean, that's also a part of existing <laughs> as an entity is that sometimes then you are, you know, put in danger I, I think we're okay, though, because the sheriff keeps coming by every 15 minutes to see if our dogs are on leash. <laughs> okay. A lot of sheriffs listen to this podcast. Mm, no, they don't. I don't think they do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. There is a sticker for the for the park. And it's not, a, it's not a, officially a dog park, which is no. why it's kind of a group thing. It's like kind of a gorilla park. It's, oh, God. It's out of control. People come there to play baseball, and they go, well, what are all the dogs doing here? Trying to chase the balls. And then there can be some conflict. We don't know if that stress or tension is going to build over months or years and gradually uh, grow into factions, uh, as so many things in life do. There's also the athletes that work out on the hill who just do uh, running exercises. Yeah. Um, There's also that. So I think as a part of being a group, I think the gradual effect of aging on any group is – it, there's going to be problems. Oh, it's going to break down. <laughs> so, are you feeling? Are you feeling like we should just enjoy it while it lasts, or do you anticipate being part of a one side or the other? I am all in. I love when things get weird. Uh, when there's a parliamentary procedure is put in place, when somebody <sighs> has to somebody writes somebody and their signatures passed around. Oh my God, that's when you know you really belong someplace when you've signed a petition of some sort. (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, It seems to me like it's a little bit unusual for a creative person to like groups. Mm. I need, yeah, I need a bunch of people. I used to think that I was, uh, well, I had uh, OCD and so I liked to be by myself so I could keep everybody safe from my monstrous thoughts. Mm -hmm. But uh, then after I got over that, I was 35 uh, then all of a sudden, I could not wait to be. I love parties. I know only certain kinds of parties. I'm not a fan of 
my husband, sometimes we go to these art parties where it's art and art people sometimes do not want to tell you where the bathroom is. Uh, there's somehow a secret about the bathroom. Uh, yet yeah, we went to Gagosian, which is one of the largest galleries uh, in the world. Uh, wow. No bathrooms. No bathrooms. Really? Uh, yeah. Big opening show. Like you have to buy a painting if you're going to use the bathroom kind of thing? What you have to be a heard, customer? What I heard later when we got to the restaurant uh, was that you had to know that there was an outdoor upstairs place to ask about that you went up in an elevator. I didn't know any of those words or how to string them together. So uh, we left early and went to a Mexican restaurant, <laughs> as all as all of us are capable of, uh, of in the Los Angeles area. Right. Where, where they let you, was the bathroom, uh, bathroom in, totally uh, available in, in operation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, no. maybe it was one of those things. Like if you don't spend a million dollars on a piece of art, you can't use the bathroom because it's only for, for paying for patrons, you know, for poopers, for paying poopers. Yeah. I art, art galleries are so interesting or at least the kind that they have in major cities, the, the art with a capital A where you try to buy something and no one will help you. Like they'll, you know, you try to get the price list. Well, that's going to be, that's going to be 20 minutes right. <laughs> of trying to get somebody to show you a price list, which is amongst a bunch of papers. There's somehow only one list that has yes. all the prices yes. on it. Then uh, let's say you do have a chunk of change to spend on a piece of art. So you, you buy it. They won't, there's no clarity of how the money should exchange hands, whether it's cash uh, then, okay, so you write a check. You write a check for however much it is, let's say $5,000. Oh my God, why'd you spend that much money on a painting? You would presume to think that you would know when that painting would be in your hot little hands. No, I tell you, no. Three to six months later, a man or a woman in a truck will come by and uh, say, hey, you you around? And then uh, the painting is yours. But uh, it's odd business practices in the art arts. Um, I'm always like, oh my God, I'll sell anything. I'll sell this shirt right off my back. What, what do you guys want? Let's get the cash. Yeah, I know. I want to talk about the merch stuff. We're, we're yeah. going to get to that. But like, have you, I have lately become aware of this uh, thing with groups and parties, especially people like in Silicon Valley, like there's, um, it's almost like it's designed for people who are a little bit on the spectrum. Mm -hmm. There are name tags, uh, like all the time and they have these icebreaker activities. Uh, it's not just like a normal party where you would mill around. I don't mind that. I love that because I, I think I do, I do have problems with, uh, social skills. Um, I like comedians are great because they're constantly just talking at you. And then if you get a word in ed edgewise, uh, it becomes sort of a, a melange, which could be called a conversation. Um, I, I, yeah, I like, I, I like formats, grids on how to connect with humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I like, I actually, I was, I was a, a little bit snobby about the, the icebreaker name tag kind of thing because I'm from the literary world where it's all very snobby and you have to, oh, you know, you're just no. thrown into the, to the lion's den of some fancy party and you have to hold your own and oh, not know, no. not know who anybody is and not anybody know who you are. So yeah, I've kind of come around to the, to the yeah, name tag thing. Name tags. Oh my gosh. I, I, if, and this, I like those necklaces that people have with their names on them. That's, 
So helpful. Um, that's great. I, I would tattoo my own name on my face if <laughs> I uh, had a little more pain tolerance. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I like it because especially once you've been alive for a longer period of time and you've met a lot of people who look the same, you go, oh, that's, that's like Susan who I met in the mm. 1980s, you know, or that, you know, th- everybody looks very much the same as someone else you've met. Oh, like they previously. tend to sort of come around in their rotation. They kind yeah, of repeat. There's always a new version of mm. somebody you've met before. And so then you got to remember that they have, they're separate individuals and they might be called something uh, like Skylark or something, uh, uh, something far easier to remember. Well, okay. So I want to talk about the different groups that you've been a part of, but first, what made you decide to frame the book around this idea? And first of all, how did you, why did you decide to write a book in the first place? Because everything, you know, seems to be going great for you. You have a Netflix special, you're a TV star. Why do you have to ruin your life by (laughs) writing a book? They offered me money. I Was it enough? Let's let's face it. At the end of the day, was it enough? The money at the beginning, at the beginning, what they float out to you in a book deal is the whole number. For me, that was $150,000. Oh my God, of course I'm going to write a book for $150,000. Then of course you find out once you read the contract, which I did not do until years four. <laughs> I dear read it in year four. But uh, first they give you a chunk of change to start. Now I'm so terrified because I've never written a book. I immediately spend all that money on editors people who I think will get me to write the book. Well, that is smart, actually. So but, you're ahead of the game. Oh, big mistake, big mistake. Because I didn't save any of that money to pay myself to write the book for the next three to four years. Now, then the next thing in the contract is they don't pay you till they think it's a book. So I thought it was when I thought it was a book that they would pay me the next $50,000. <laughs> No, it is in fact when they think it's a book, if they don't think it's a book, they can in fact ask for the $50,000 back. Me then being in the hole for 50 grand, I could have been in debt had I not you already written, paid the editors, right? Written the book, yeah. So I've already paid the editors, right? So somehow I, I got them to say that it was a book. The reason it was about cults is because they said, uh, the word cult sells in a title. Oh. And yeah. And also I do like groups. And so I was like, well, this seems to be sort of a theme. So uh, why not? And then, but that's the dirty, the dirty part of it is that it, they said, oh, cults that that sells. And I was like, all right. And then, then I have not received, uh, which happens two years from now, when it comes out on soft cover, if it does come out, and that's the third fifty thousand dollars. Right. So over the course of seven years, you get one hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. Of course, ten percent of that is taken by my uh, manager Bruce Smith, which is well earned. So, anyways, it's just interesting uh, the the process. But all of that I could have learned had I read the the contract aloud to myself. Uh, yeah, but right. nobody does that. I, well, I, uh, yes, I have this. They do. Well, I, okay, we're going to get to this because I have, uh, I, I like white knuckle it through a, any sort of legal document. But I, <laughs> I, I teach right and I've gone over this scenario with students all the time. I say, okay, if somebody gives you $100,000 for a book, who thinks that's a, 
a good thing. And of course, they all do, of course, of course. But the fact is, I mean, most literary agents take 15%. Okay, so Mm -hmm. you're doing good with Bruce. They take 15%. And then once you uh, take out taxes and all of that, you have fifty thousand, mm-hmm. and then when you divide that over however many years it takes to write it, it's like less than minimum wage. Yes, and that's true too. And yet, I mean, I think there is some there's some intrinsic value to making something. So I think, like, even if I didn't live on this money, like I didn't the the money that I did pay myself, which was you know whatever around thirty five thousand dollars, even though that wasn't a living wage, it did give me something like it gave me like feeling like I could, I was learning something, learning how to write. I also did my full-time day job, which is being a comedian, which is a, you know, doing touring and doing stand up and working on that material. But I think it all helps other things, you know? So I, I don't think, uh, I mean, the money thing is very emotional for me. I love talking about money. I love how how many emotions flood through my body when it's mentioned. Yeah, but I know that that's not the only thing. The only it's, There's also meaning in life and going, oh, I, I would like to write about this. And after thinking about what I wanted to write, I started to enjoy certain parts of the writing. Not all, but certain parts of it I did enjoy. Yeah. You could have joined a writer's group. Yeah. Not, I have so many groups I'm attending. Too many groups. <laughs> I got um, two debtors anonymous meetings I'm attending. I've been taking a class through become a peer specialist uh, through uh, Department of Mental Health, um, and so I'm doing that. And then and then I gotta I gotta socialize. I gotta have a beer and uh, and play boggle, and that's taking up a lot of my sitting around time. And that's like an organized thing. Well, organized and that I continue to ask people to come over and play. Will you play Vogel with us? Actually, I would play Vogel. I know I was saying that I don't play any games. I don't oh play board God. games. But oh. I could play, yeah, I haven't played Vogel since I was like nine years old. So fun. Have they changed it? Like no. has the technology changed? Not at all. Same game. Okay. I might be able to do that. Do you do Wordle? Are you I do. Wordle? I do do Wordle every day. Yes. Yeah. I don't know what the end goal is with Wordle. I mean, I know that I I go with the Wordle bot and I go, oh, I should have picked that word. And then I go, there's some sort of esteem attached to it. Yeah. When I feel good about myself, if I guessed it at number two, but it seems to be luck based. Yeah, no, it's, I know it's not that there's not that much skill involved. I just do it as a way to try to fall asleep. I do it when I get into bed and I do it on my phone, but I think it's not then I then I have to give up and take an Ambien occasionally. Like, oh, oh, sure. Yeah, fall no, asleep. I'm on many psychiatric drugs to help me fall asleep. So. <laughs> um, okay. I want to I get, I especially want to talk about Debtors Anonymous, but let's kind of just go through some of this. So you write in the book that your first meeting uh, was a Dale Carnegie group that your father took you to when you were sophomore in high school. Yes. That's yes. amazing. How did that come about? Well, I was very depressed. I was not a happy kid. And um, I think my dad was a little worried about me. My dad also depressed. And so, but also my dad likes a a self-help thing. Um, He went to adult children of alcoholics and yeah, he just enjoyed learning new things. So he said, you want to take this together? I said, sure. And it did have public speaking in it, which I love. Mm -hmm. I knew that I love public speaking. And yeah, it really helped me find a, a system of talking to people. 
kind of like a video game where it's like you you make the connection and then you hit the three beats and then you win. You win the, you know, like, oh my God, I just learned Patty Burgle's name. I learned what her favorite color is. I told her, I gave her a compliment and then I said her name again and then said goodbye. Like that's a, that's one point, you know, you know, a little game inside myself Mm -hmm. Uh, and that I could play along with 15 uh, businessmen and women in Duluth, Minnesota. Yeah. You were, so you were the only kid, I assume. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you said, um, yeah, they had, they had, what did you say? Appropriate jewelry, sensible uh-huh. jewelry. Sensible. Yeah. Yeah. People so, were, I mean, they were dreamers. There and was this was in the eighties. I can imagine yeah. what the, yeah, I can yes. imagine. I believe somebody had started a church, like their own church. And uh, the other person was, I mean, if you're starting your own church. Around Dale Carnegie? Oh, no, no, no. Some people like to rewrite the Bible and start again at the beginnings and just see see who they can get up in, oh. the, uh, in a building. I've, I've heard of that as a business plan. Uh, Joel oh. Osteen is doing it, and he's doing very well. You just huh. rewrite okay. the Bible a little bit. All right. So, okay, in case people don't know, Dale Carnegie is the author of How to Win Friends and Influence People, which is a classic. I don't even remember. Did that come out like in... Came out in the Depression along the same... Yeah, around the same time that Alcoholics Anonymous did, which is another cult that I am a fan of. Uh, So, yeah, same same amount of time. Also, Norman Vincent Peale, uh, a positive thinking American spirit. Also, people who... uh, (laughs) <laughs> it's problematic because of white supremacy, generational wealth, slavery, et cetera. Anyways. Okay. <laughs> Dale, other than that, totally fine. Okay. So, but with Dale <laughs> Carnegie, this is the idea you're supposed to like repeat somebody's name, right? Yes. Um, now, where does that come from? Because I don't know about you, but when people start doing that to me in a conversation, I'm immediately turned off and creeped out and I want to have nothing to do with them. Well, Megan... And it's Megan. This is not Megan, right? It's Megan. Megan, um, (laughs) you were not a dupe, right? Okay, see, the people I was working with that I was doing this magic on were junior high, high school kids in uh, Duluth, Minnesota in the 80s. They were not at the top of the the game, okay? But this works for everybody, apparently. That's the concept. I went to the East Coast for college, went to Bates College. A lot of the kids were from Massachusetts and New York City. None of them bought it. None of them, had, everyone was okay. like, why Why do you keep saying my name? Nobody <laughs> liked it. <laughs> you showed up in Maine at Bates College and was doing that. But okay, but it did work uh, in high school and you actually got a boyfriend this way. Oh my this God. Might, maybe you should fold this into a dating guide, like the how, oh. to, how to win friends and get a boyfriend by repeating his name. Oh my God. It is so easy. I mean, if you don't, if there are no standards at all, it's very easy to get a boyfriend. Uh, that's not a problem for anybody. But also, and what I mean is standards, I mean also like your expectations of agape love, of hum- the human spirit. Like, I don't think romance, I think it's a very limiting thing. Yes. I want to be loved and have someone to love. That's very different than having uh, someone who I've fa- fallen in love with, who you know is my perfect partner in life, etc. Or, or I have the best friends. I don't have the best friends. <laughs> I have, I have friends who I have not abandoned, nor have they abandoned me yet. 
<laughs> but okay, but wait, let's go back to this because you got a boyfriend and who a really good boyfriend. I mean, this is not about just yeah, having no great. standards. You got yeah, and, no. he, and he had an incredible name. I don't know if this is it was his actual name, but the name no. you give him in the book. Um, yes, Wyden Muskrat. Uh, Wyden <laughs> Muskrat, uh, so cute. And a lot of ladies liked him, I have to say. And um, uh, yeah, it was weirdly miraculous, um, I felt like, because I just thought to myself after get, get it, having all this success of talking to people, I mean, I was talking to like six, seven people a day at school. I mean, no problem. I mean, this is after not being able to talk to people at all very well, or at least in consistent ways, like learning people's names, anything like that, or, or having positive interactions. I just didn't have those. And um, I thought to myself, why not work this magic? this guy who I met a crush on. And I did. Now, the negative sides of that is I never told him anything about myself on some level that would have been important uh, to have real intimacy. Things that my husband knows like, oh, you have disordered eating and uh, you're bipolar and uh, I have intrusive thoughts OCD that uh, makes me stay up all night and want to sit on my hands so I don't uh, kill my family. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things so it wasn't rich in that way. Like I, I didn't feel completely loved by and accepted by him because I don't, I just was, too, I, I wouldn't have told anybody. I didn't tell anybody yeah. about those things. So in that way, very exciting. Also, I was probably hypomanic at the time. I seemed to go once, once a year I would have, and this is until I got on mood stabilizers when I was 40, I would have a, a really fine romance that felt glorious at the time. And so I think it may have been partly that as well. Okay. But this is high school and you were with this him for, for two years. Two so years. was he telling you his uh, like deep secrets and you were just being a good listener? I don't think so. I think, you know, he was telling me as much stuff that he had uh, available to talk about. I'm sure there were other things uh, because now he is in Idaho with, I believe, six kids um, mm -hmm. and is oddly religious, oddly religious in a way that surprises me about him because smart dude. But um, anyway, so, oh, well, you know, I'm sure he had things that he didn't tell me about, but it, it was great. It was great because he was very uh, kindly and uh, taught me that relationships uh, can be wonderful and pleasant and fun. Um, but he was your longest relationship for mm -hmm. a really for, long time, right? Until uh, now, which is my relationship with my husband, uh, which is... 10 years we've been together, but nine years married. So yeah, until my husband, the longest relationship I'd ever had after high school was a year. High school, two years, made it two years. Okay. So this is totally fascinating to me. You are like a very successful person. You're a public person. And yet you were like a single girl and dating just for a long time. I mean, you met, how old were you when you met your husband? Uh, 41, four, no, 42, 42, 42. Okay. Okay. And you describe in the book, like some of these guys that you went out with, including a guy in New Zealand who was a clown. Mm -hmm. Um, and you were like, you know, a, a public figure at this time. Your, your face was on posters all over the city. I, I guess you were doing a show or something like that. Like, wh what is that like? Like, how do you, like, I think a lot of people on the outside, they're like, oh my gosh, a celebrity. It's a celebrity. <laughs> um, and they they must just be able, they just must date other celebrities or like finance guys or something. 
I think that's really fleeting. And I think anybody who's in the arts or or even like the fame of somebody living in a smaller city, like or a small town, like there is that element of like, oh, is everybody watching what I'm doing? Nobody's watching you. Nobody cares. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I think that applies to any sort of uh, perceived celebrity. It's not real. Nobody's thinking about you. You know, I mean, maybe, I, I guess maybe the the big uh, superstars, but even then, nobody's really thinking about those people as human beings. They, they don't know them at all. It's just, uh, yeah, kaleidoscopes. Right. But were your friends, okay, so, but like, were your friends saying, oh my gosh, Maria, you're so great. You're so amazing. Why are you dating a clown? No. No, my friends uh, were like, good for you. Good job getting out there, kid. Nice work. He seems nice. He may be, he's bisexual. That's going to, it's going to be fine. There's no way that the penis is more compelling than what you've got going. Turns out the penis uh, went over on that situation. But yeah, I say clown is like you know the stop first stop on the train. There's clown, there's bi, and then there's gay. It's the first stop on the train to gay. No, well, the clown community, what it is, is stand up with no fourth wall, so they can do anything. And then there's nudity, crying, and um, and huge laughs. It's it's really fun, but it, they are also known a little bit for polyamory. Yeah, um, something that I didn't I didn't get in on that, um, but. Yeah, I, I know none of my friends, and I, I'm also all my friends are twelve step nerds like myself, or you know have had aren't people who keep it high and tight. You know, like I'm not a fan of confidence. Like I don't, I don't need anybody who's like I know what I'm doing. You know, like I just don't understand. Like I mean, it's so interesting how you talk about personal things. Like I, I'm just that's not my friend. That's not my friend. <laughs> I'm so glad you went into that voice. Okay, is that is that voice called the Diane voice, or is that just one of many voices in that genre? It's just it's uh yeah sure it's Diane it's it's anybody who's just you know for me I guess I just always kind of known who I am <laughs> and never questioned it because there's some people who are are genuinely like that and I think I feel so sad uh, when I I can't connect with them. Um, yeah. So it's all about sorrow. It's not about me mocking them. It's no, about no, sad I know. And loss. Yeah. And those voices, I mean, I've been, you know, following your career for a, a while. And I feel like with um, some of those voices, you really like captured the basic bitch um, phenomenon before it became like a meme, you know? Oh, well, and I mean, we all have it within us because you'll find yourself, or I find myself like, Sometimes, you know, when you've had a great customer service experience, so you know when you're having a bad one and you <sighs> you hear yourself, you're thinking like, am I going to say something? And you know, you shouldn't say anything because it's monstrous to ever complain about anything, any food, any service that's been done to you by a fellow human being. Suck it up. They're, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're doing the service work. Uh, don't send food back. Eat that. Eat, oh, yeah, I know. You said nobody in, the, nobody in the Midwest sends food back. Yeah. I think that's true. Eat whatever happened. It, you'll, you'll live to eat another day. 
<laughs> right. No, but what I meant by basic bitch, I don't mean acting like a bitch. Are, are you oh. aware of this like idea? Oh yeah, this oh this this is like a concept of like oh. a girl who like uh, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I wasn't saying you were a bitch. I, I mean oh. like so oh yeah, there's you can you can google it. So the basic bitch is like this the girl who um you know, she thinks she's really interesting. She just likes the basic things. Like she loves John Mayer and she'll wear like a cozy scarf and uh, the pumpkin spice latte that was sort of like the cliche that was associated. Oh. It's, it's like a prototype of of just a girl who's just totally normal and likes all the normal things. And but yet she's thinks, crazy. She thinks she's different, but she's like, you know, I'm not like, you know, I, we're just, you know, or there's like a basic couple, you know, they're yeah. just like, we're going to like the other couple. You know, we're, we're kind of, we're, we march to our own drummer. Yeah. Sometimes and, we go to Dave and Buster's. Sometimes we go shopping. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Exactly. So I'm saying you were onto this before it became a thing. So. Oh, well, I think I think that's a general human trait of of the people uh, uh well, everybody. I mean, I I desperately want to feel like I'm special and uh, you know, that uh yeah, I, I think I, yeah, me making fun of it is also yeah, it's a product of of not being included <laughs> by being rejected by so many I mean, if they are basic bitches, I, I definitely I wanted to hang out with them. Uh, yeah, I well, tried. they can be useful. They can yeah, often they have their their place. They are often the ladies who would tell me, you know, who has a crush on you? You know, who has a crush on John Kalkbrenner? Then I'd somehow find myself at a Baskin Robbins with thirty six guys on dirt bikes. Then the next day, <laughs> the same girl would come up to you and say, "He's breaking up with you." He says you're an airhead. <laughs> <sighs> were you aware of yourself as a comedian from like a very young age? I mean, you write about how you love attention and you love eyes on you. Mm -hmm. So when did that start to be like you as a comedian? Oh, I think I was like, yeah, as a kid, I was the youngest and my sister is, she's very funny, also very gregarious and a talker, as was my mom. My dad, less so, but I, yeah, I didn't get a lot of stage time at home. And so anytime there was an opportunity to, to be on stage, I really, I really enjoyed it. Um, and, and to be heard. So yeah, I guess doing stuff for attention. I definitely, I mean, anytime there was an opportunity to do a play or read something with different voices or, you know, I, yeah, I did that early early on as a, as a kid. So what did you do in college? Uh, college, I did improv. I did stand up whenever they had talent shows. I did mostly improv and sketch. And then I didn't start doing stand up in a more, uh, focused way until I'm my fourth year of college. And I, uh, was going through an eating disorders treatment program and at the university of Minnesota, as well as finishing, my degree and uh yeah shaved shaved my head bald and started doing stand up oh. <laughs> um how was your mental health in college because i feel like that's like a big time for people to oh. uh to have have problems uh, whether whether uh, genuine or or performative yeah not good not good uh rough i did i was grateful to have uh you know a, a a something to go to because I was terrified. I just didn't know uh, how I was going to be able to function in life. And um, so I, yeah, I just, I had, I, well, I had the eating disorder and that got to a point, I believe in my 
yeah, my end of my sophomore year and I called the suicide hotline. I got into Overeaters Anonymous, which that really helped me stop some of the eating disorder behaviors. I stopped binge purging, but I didn't stop the kind of constant obsession and, uh, you know, weighing myself, that type of thing. So I ended up going through an outpatient uh, treatment program and uh, that helped kind of learn how to eat more normally. And uh, yeah, all of these are because my dad had great health insurance. Thank you, Mm. Father Christmas. And yeah, so, but yeah, and I I think I shaved my head. I I think partly it was the time it was just kind of like, I was Sinead O'Connor was around, but also I, I may have unconsciously done it just to get one thing you could, you can find as a a woman starting out in any male dominated field is that people like to give you advice, but kind of when you're close to your car, or maybe do you want to sit around and, you know, I'll kind of talk to you about some notes I have about, <laughs> about your act. Uh, no, I don't. And um, so the bald head really s- sent out a message that either I had cancer or um, was not interested in feedback. <laughs> oh. <laughs> So with the eating disorder, did you write that you actually never, never vomited? Like, I think, again, that's, so this, because people associate eating disorder with like either being anorexic or being bulimic, but there's like a lot of nuance to this. Oh, goodness. Yes. Look at Wikipedia. Um, Anorexia. Yes. You can get the Karen Carpenter. You can blow out your esophagus, uh, vomiting up pickles and sugar. But what I like to do is I would, and this took up most of my time on earth. So I'm going to say it was a disorder. I would uh, eat enormous amounts of food. Uh, so everything had in the fridge, like a, you know, tub of ice cream, one of those, you know, and one of those real tubs, you know, the tub that you can get at a uh, grocery outlet that just has one, one chocolate swirl through oh, it. Oh yeah. Not like the whole foods. Yeah. Like no, the, no, like, like a, this is the safe way. A tub. real deal. Yeah. yeah. Like for a family of six. And then uh, yeah, eat until you feel sick. Then, uh, as I'm passing out, probably, uh, enjoy some light trichotillomania, which is pulling out hairs, yeah. pull some hairs out of my arm for, as a good pastime, pass out. Then, oh my God, oh my God, I can't believe it. Oh my God, I'm probably fat, which is not a feeling really, but you don't find that out till, uh, a thousand dollars worth of treatment from a therapist. Uh, then uh, go out and exercise six to 12 miles, uh, running, getting shin splints, doing anything. And the only, I think the only thing that makes it a dis- disorder, I mean, other people say, oh, well, that's the American way. <laughs> that's oh. just a weekend for me, which fair enough. Like if you can manage anything or if you're living a great life while binging occasionally and, uh, you know, and exercising like crazy to get it off, awesome. Um, but I think it's just like any addiction, like alcoholism, like if it's, uh, keeping you from doing most things, uh, then maybe, maybe it's a problem. But, uh, for, for me, it definitely was a problem. I, I just, at the end of it, I, I couldn't leave, uh, my room from my, uh, dorm room because I was just, couldn't stop binging. I just could not, I had put on, I think like, 25 pounds I couldn't leave wouldn't wouldn't leave my room <laughs> and you wouldn't leave why uh just to eat just eating just eating and mm. eating and eating I remember my one of my roommates said uh god Marie don't you have any self-control like no 
I am eating a jar of peanut butter while falling asleep. Of course I don't. Yeah. 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 So, can, yeah, it, yeah, in part, I mean, there's so many interesting things about uh, eating disorders, and men have them too. And, and bulimia as just a binge eating disorder is now being recognized as a, a nationwide problem in that people, because our food is genetically modified, you know, and the any if you diet you your body is programmed as an animal to binge to make up for it um they did a study in the 1940s about with soldiers from conscientious objectors during world war ii a starvation study that would now be illegal that mm. almost all of the soldiers became bulimic or had eating disordered behaviors after being put on these starvation calorie amounts. So anyways, if it happens to you, it's not your fault. Okay. So, and you've talked in the book about how this is an ongoing thing. I mean, it's- Yes. Oh, yes. There are varying degrees of it being under control, but, you know, so you you move on to other things. Did you ever go, you never went to like Alcoholics Anonymous or you never got into like drugs or booze? No, I didn't. And I don't know why, because it seems like it would have been a great time. I don't, (laughs) I don't know why. Uh, I didn't start having alcoholic drinks, I think, until I was after the age of like 42, 43, when I could afford it. <laughs> I could mm-hmm. buy something. And and immediately it became a concern. Like I was like, oh, yeah, I I really like that drink, you know. <sighs> but I only – if I drink something, I only have one drink. But, um, man, do I enjoy it. Man. Man, do I enjoy the effects. I do not like the taste at all. The taste is not mm. interesting to me. Could care less. I want to know the alcohol content. I want to know when it's going to hit me. I've been to tons of AA meetings because um, oftentimes that's the only meeting that's available when I was touring. And and it, it, it does help to go to a local area. And they, you know, plenty of places have open AA meetings you can go. And it's just sitting with a bunch of people who are trying to be positive and make harm reductive changes in your life. So how could it go wrong? <laughs> so you don't have to say I'm an alcoholic necessarily? No. no. Okay. Yeah. You could just I, I would say I'm an addict. I mean I'm definitely an addict, but I I yeah, I don't think it matters. Also, the one philosophy that I love about 12 step is they say take what you like, leave the rest. The only requirement for membership is a desire. Is a desire basically to be there, and uh, uh, that that counts me in. I'm in. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about money. This okay. is a favorite subject of mine too. Okay, um, right. and nobody ever talks about it. Oh. It's like the last thing, and it's the thing that upsets uh, people more than anything. Mm. Like if you really want to make somebody upset, I notice if or if you want to really attack somebody online. I was actually just talking to some friends about this this morning. A friend of mine had been accused of being a nepo baby. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that yes, is? Yes. Yes. Okay. And like, she's completely not like completely not. Mm. And it like hurt her and enraged her more. You could have called her anything. Mm. And I was enraged on her behalf. And it's like, money is just where you live, you know? Well, I mean, in some ways I'm a Nepo baby and that my, my dad was a physician. His dad was a physician. You know, that's generations. But they weren't famous comedians. No, I don't think but they had, baby is like, you've they, got this role because you had, your father's born baby. They had shit done of money. They had money that meant I could go to school very easily. There was no question of it. We lived in a very nice neighborhood. I had no 
trauma from society or uh, inside my family either that was not, you know, limit very limited. <laughs> uh, I would say a, a fairly easy amount of trauma. And um, yeah, so I, I want to say that, uh, yeah, I've definitely been privileged to a, a huge extent. Yeah, I don't have any problem with saying that. And, and that some of the machinery in place, you know, of racism, uh, sexism, you know, in terms of you know, really help my career in terms of like, I oh, you're the only woman. Oh, and you're good looking, you know, like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like that really uh, put help me in, in the beginning of my career. So I have been helped by these uh, terrible uh, found, foundations. So I, I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, I guess I'm not too, that's, I, I don't worry about that. If somebody says, oh, you, you don't deserve your success. I go, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I do not. <laughs> okay. But what, but your relationship to money, I mean, it is, you tell these stories in the book that are, that are incredible. Like first you, when you moved to LA initially, you were, you couldn't even pay the rent. Mm-mm. You were living in real like shitty places and uh, you were working like the most menial jobs. So like, what was, were you just, what was your relationship to money at that point? I think what I had witnessed in my family, my dad didn't, my dad earned all the money. My mom did some work, um, but didn't have to work. Uh, She handled all the money. So I didn't really learn about how to, beyond my dad, who was a physician and extremely capable, like he was a hyper capable person, like wake up at 5 a.m., go to bed at midnight, like always producing. So the middle ground of somebody who's, you know, I wasn't, super great at a lot of things. You know, I'm just still learning how to do stuff or, or the fact that you, there is a learning curve that, that anything requires asking how to do it. I, that was half the thing of me going to a 12 step group debtors anonymous was to learn how to have and keep a job by having the willingness to ask, how do other people do it? <laughs> like, and go, Hey, can I call you before and after I come back from this job just to make sure that I stay at the job, uh, because it's so uncomfortable. It, yeah. Just the discomfort of, um, not being good at stuff. Um, yeah. I had been not good at a food service and somehow for whatever reason I was okay with that. <laughs> but then when I moved to Los Angeles, it was just, it's not an option. I mean, people are professionals here. People are extremely good at it. And uh, so I was put into the back of a bakery loading trucks in at night. And not that that's a great job to be grateful for. Um, if you can lean, you can clean. That always makes me laugh when <laughs> comedians who are canceled will say like, what else could I do? What if, what if, I've been a comic for 40 years. Almost anything. You can do almost anything. Jesus Christ. I, I can, I can learn to do, I, I, I can do a lot of things. Uh, I, I did know how to type. So, uh, some people in the, you know, peers said, Hey, why don't you try when I asked people, what do you think I should do? You know, I got some outside help from DA. They said, um, well, what else do you know how to do? And I was like, well, I can type 50 words a minute and I got an English degree. And they're like, what girl? Um, like <laughs> go yeah. sign up at a temp agency. And I was like, but I don't know how. And they're like, it doesn't matter. Just call us. Um, we'll, you know, we'll be there with you. And I, and so I did, I signed up with like five temp agencies. I call them every morning. 
um, say, hi, I'm available for work. And these were not my ideas. Those are ideas that had to be given to me that had to be like, also like the the thing I like about 12 step, it is, it's very inexpensive CBT therapy, cognitive Mm. behavioral therapy, Mm -hmm. where you exchange one behavior that is not working for another behavior that might be less stupid. So instead of asking my parents for money, (laughs) which, which I kept doing, despite the fact that they kept saying, yeah, no more. We're not giving you any money. Uh, so that was a painful thing. Why keep doing that? Why not call a temp agency? Five of them, Sam available for work every morning. See what happens if I do that. I did that about a year into temping. I, I did get a full-time job, which gave me insurance benefits. Uh, after a year there, I got to move into an apartment. You know, it's just like these small, you know, tiny yeah. things that really stop me and I think stop everybody, you know, like the whole thing about, yeah, I just don't want to ask. It's too embarrassing. Right. And, um, and, and I think it happens at all levels, if you want to call it that. Because I don't think there, I mean, there are you know, people who you think have billions of millions of dollars. I think people won't ask at other levels too, you know, like I've, I've had friends come to me who, or have a sheriff come into their house because their million dollar home, they're losing it because they invested in something wrong. Just because don't want to ask, don't want to ask what they don't want to ask for. You mean for money? Well, like, for, or, for money for, or for, for advice of like, mm. Oh, Hey, I'm doing this weird thing. I'm going to ask six people what they think of it before I do it. And mm. then if I still want to do it after talking to six people, even if they tell me, that sounds terrible, then I'll still do it. But, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Like, I'm not about black and white thinking. Like, I feel like, of course you could become an astronaut. Do you have your GAD? Let's start with your GAD and then let's move closer and closer to space. You can probably do like an online university. Yeah. No. I, yeah. So anyways, I, I could, Talk for but yeah, um, I think I feel like. Do you feel like money is? It's so taboo. It's like the last taboo. Do you feel like people are more reluctant to ask for help around money that, that than they would be even for like sex, a, a sex kind of thing, or certainly addiction? I would think. Well, I hope that. Well, I love that the sex workers have been empowered online, where it's like you can just oh, yeah. create your own business. That's just like the maybe ex- yeah exactly maybe a lot of the is a lot of the stuff in DA about how to make it as a as a sex worker as a you know, OnlyFans. I've met sex workers in DA and and that's like an interesting business too because it's like you know it, well it's like any business it is like that is the weird thing I think I've learned in being a part of a group that you know anyone can apply to is that all the feelings are the same. It doesn't matter if you're, oh, I'm in show business. Oh, I make, uh, uh, I make, uh, what do I make? Rockets. I, you know, I'm a driver. I'm a whatever. All the feelings are the same. When you ask for more money, it feels weird. When you don't ask for more money, you get resentful <laughs> or, yeah. or whatever it is. It just, yeah. Well, what was it like building your career while you were doing all these temp jobs? I mean, you say in the book that you at one point you were answering phones for a comedy for comedy development executives right after having pitch meetings with them. Yes. Like, is that really? Yes. Yes. 
Yes. And I've been to, I went to TV shows where I watched in the audience where friends of mine were, were writing on the shows and they're like, Ray, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I got to get on the van. Uh, we're going back to Koreatown and I'm going to get my 50 bucks for today. So. Um, oh, you but, mean you, you were like the test audience. Yeah. You were test like audience. A, yeah. Oh my I, gosh. I just think I get so mad when somebody makes fun of somebody who was famous, who's doing any kind of whatever job, uh, any kind of yeah. hourly rate job. It's just like, how dare you? Like it is, it's so dignified to like earn, like to earn your own and, and, and to not be a victim at, to, because of an industry. You go, Oh, I, I was fucked over because I chose to be this. It's like, you're not, you're, you can do anything else. You can do thousands of other things. And yeah, it sucks. It sucks when sometimes people won't pay you to do what you love to do, but um, doesn't mean, yeah, you have to be a victim of it. And if you do feel like you're a victim of doing it, stop doing it. Yeah. Stop. Like stop dancing or, or whatever it is if you're that pissed off about it. But yeah, it's, I feel like it's, it is, I'm lucky to have any kind of job because um, I, I'm I'm not the greatest as an employee, and I I try to I try to do my best, but but I, I'm I'm willing to do anything to earn money. But what was that like? I mean, you say that you worked at NBC reception after doing the Tonight Show. Yes. So what think, did they notice? Like, what no, was it like? Nobody cares. Nobody cares. And especially, I, mean, I think it's even more prevalent now. Like, there are just so many wonderful different channels of creativity and people making their own industries at home of comedy channels, yeah. comedy, or and yeah, for everything. So it's, I think there's no gatekeeper at all. Um, yeah. The only there's person- There's also no support structure. Yeah. And- I don't know. I, I uh, yeah, I, I, I love social services. I believe we all have the human right to a basic income. Uh, no, I mean like support structure, like there's no like network paying you. Is that, I mean, like oh. everybody's their own, their own business. Um, yeah. There's and, also no support structure. Like there's no health insurance. Yes, for oh, sure. But, but like, it's different. Like everybody is their own, the, the creative, you know, the creator, everyone's a creator now. See, you know? and, but I think that to me, that makes me so excited because I feel like I get to do whatever the fuck I want. Like I don't have to wait for so-and-so to have a meeting with me or anyone to say, oh, I guess it's okay if we do that. But well, we'll only do it if we can do it like this. I get to make it. I get to make money on Kickstarter, raise money, make my own fucking thing and have people be disappointed with that. Like it's... I, I yeah. really like, and, and also to take full responsibility for my own business and acknowledge how difficult it is to be a business owner. Like that, those corporations, I have a corporation. I don't always know what's going on with people who um, are subcontracted under me. So like I'm at a comedy club, I can pay the opener in the middle and I know how much they're being paid and that they're being paid uh, a good wage. I do not know how much the wait staff is being paid. I can tip them out. I also don't know if a sex offender is going to be working there or is working there as I'm there. Like there are certain things that I 
either haven't gotten involved enough to to pay attention to. There's certain clubs I won't work at because of that fact, because I go, I don't mm. I don't want to feel responsibility for someone feeling unsafe at work, much less myself. I mean, I know <laughs> I can, well, I don't know. I, I guess I, I don't want to have to be put in that position either. either. But um, yeah, so I, I think there is some wonderful opportunity in taking, of uh, saying, oh, I'm making these guys the demons or the enemy. And it's like, well, let's see, see how good a boss I am. Because mm-hmm. I'm, okay. I'm my yeah. own boss. Now, do you get that from Debtors Anonymous? Did you yes. get a lot of this from that? Yeah, see, yes. See, this, this is exactly what I need right now. This, okay, yeah. we're going to talk about more of this offline. But okay, so, so um, all right. But let's talk about Lady Dynamite because you write a lot about that in the book. Um, this was your... Uh, Netflix series. It ran for two seasons. Uh, yes, two seasons. Okay. Yes. Okay. So you you talk about that in the book. It's, it sounds exhausting for starters, and you were struggling with like medication stuff, and like you had a lot going on when you were shooting. Um, but what was that like? Like, was that uh, it, actually what what would you consider your first big break? Like, when what was the moment? And I'm assuming it was well before this. When did you s- sort of feel like okay, now I'm this is going to work? This is actually going to work. I think when I, like I got a good review for a one woman show that I did in Minneapolis and, and, or maybe when I was, I did a year in Scotland as a student and I got a good review for a sketch show and I felt like, huh, like the fact that someone would write something about something I had made and that it was very positive. I, I think that that's what really yeah, I felt really good. And then I think I read The Artist's Way, which very much mm. solidified specifically what I was interested in doing. You know, I don't agree with some parts of that book where it's sort of where it can kind of veer into a psychosis of <laughs> like... I've read like, it, actually. I've been very resistant to it because um, it comes up. But yeah, obviously it works. It's It's great. I mean, it's really great. I mean, I again, it's like... Take only the stuff that's helpful. I, some parts I feel like err on the side of like, um, sort of this thing in LA where they go, Oh, I, you know, I'm not going to be with toxic people anymore. <laughs> and it's like, everybody's toxic. Every <laughs> single person is. To- nope. I have no, I declared 2004 the no friend left behind act. Unless you're going to abandon me, I will never abandon you. Like, I don't care what happens. Like, it's, it's, so that's some some of the the artist way is a little bit paranoid about like how people are going to try to bring you down. It's like, oh yeah, uh, hey, if that's the case, and I, I feel like don't flatter yourself. Yeah, yeah, and and if that if that were true, does it help to think about it anymore? Then you are, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just yeah. go, don't ruin your own day. I know. Like, I don't <laughs> think people are trying to bring you down because, like you said, they're not thinking about you. They're not thinking about you. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So Lady Dynamite, what was that like? And what was, what was the concept? Because I can see a lot of the material, like the, you know, some of what you talk about, um, about the clown, uh, comes through with one of the characters. I did not do most of the show because I was, uh, mostly asleep. Um, so I was just there for the shooting of it for real. Like I, I, it was mostly me being a sleepy time, sleep, sleep time. And because you were going, cause you had medications. I'm on, on. Yeah. And when I've always had medication going, the medications I'm on make it that I can, I'm probably, I can be up about 10 to 12 hours a day tops. 
Um, so this was really pushing the envelope. And um, uh, yes, yeah, so the whole thing was Pam Brady and Mitch Hurwitz, but mostly Pam Brady, who is the head writer and uh, showrunner of the show. And she was just wonderful. And she, you know, took what was sort of, you know, my vague biographical outline and created a, a beautiful, hilarious show. And uh, for which I am dearly grateful. And it was, uh, it, it only happened, I think, because I had had already gone mental and had already told my story so many times before that I wasn't even interested in telling my story anymore. And I was like, sure, you tell it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was some, yeah, beautiful thing about not caring really anymore. Okay. It, was, and this- it was delightful and it was a cash cow. Yeah. Yeah, you were able to buy a house. house And you already bought a house before. Again, this is my other upset my obsession with real estate. So you had bought a house that you said you couldn't afford on your own. Terrible. Eagle Rock, where I used to live as well. Yeah. I should not have bought that house, but I did not check it out with anybody. What you should do is I or what I should do is I should check check it out with six people before you make any major decision. I did not. And what I did was buy a house in two thousand seven. Uh, <laughs> and uh, had a double mortgage. I uh, did not know if that was a thing. It is. It comes. Oh, with I forgot this. about that. Remember they had yeah. the reverse mortgage. This is. Mm-hmm. It almost sounds like sex positions. Like yeah. the reverse mortgage, the double mortgage. Yeah, like one the, of my mortgages you know, was like three thirty eight hundred. It was so much money, and it miraculously and not miraculously. You know, I was in entertainment. So, uh, you know, I, I won the lottery. I got a target commercial and was able to make the, make the mortgage, but, but that is not something I recommend. Uh, super dumb, super dumb. Was it that the house was too like fancy or is it just oh, any no. house? Is just any house yeah. in Los Angeles is way too expensive. And then any time you, cause houses have significant issues, uh, you know, on the regular, then it's, it's not good. It's not good. And it's, it's stressful. So, uh, as, as Susie Orman says, the new American dream is to rent. Yeah, uh, I know. Uh, or to, but, or to tent. <laughs> yeah. Did you want to own a house? Was it like a big deal to you? Um, I just thought it was, and this was about the time that I was going a bit mental. So it's all sort of a blur. I think I thought I should buy a house. Mm-hmm. And again, didn't think I should ask anybody about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so just, I mean, I think people, just so people know, your story does involve, you were hospitalized a number of times for psychiatric reasons. We don't have to go over that because, you know, too much because you've talked about it a lot, yeah, but yeah. just so so people have some context there. Yes. Yes. Um, Bipolar, uh, intrusive thoughts, OCD, love it, enjoy it, fully medicated, yay team. <laughs> Okay. And you've become like a spokesperson for mental health. You're, you're like sort of political about this. Uh, or how I would you say it? I mean, I definitely am speaking only for myself. I just, I, I mean, I, yeah, I hope, I hope nobody thinks I'm speaking for any entity. No, I don't all. mean that, but you do sort of, you didn't, you say before that you were like, um, uh, you had some kind of position, some kind oh, of ambassadorship uh, or something. No, I, uh, I've, I got an award from the OCD Foundation, um, <laughs> which is very nice. And yeah. um, I did not keep it because I don't like clutter because that's not my OCD. Okay. And my OCD is uh, more about thoughts. But, um, yeah, I think 
Yeah, I mean, that's definitely been, talking about it has been the main thing that I am working is that people, that's something I talk about. So I definitely, uh, source of income. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. How do you see yourself as a, as a business person, do you enjoy it? Or like, do you get like upset about it? I, I find this whole thing very overwhelming and then upsetting. Cause I have merch too. And I have too, you know, I have too many lines of, it's too easy to make a merch line is part of the problem. Well, have you ever tried to make union merch? That'll slow you down. <laughs> no. What does that mean? You mean the union? Union yeah, made, like American this? made. I thought you mean meant like actors union. No. no. If you try to make union-made, oh, American-made no, no. merch. Mine is, mine is fully uh, child-developing Well, labor. that will slow down the process a tremendous amount. <laughs> you will only be able to make one tote bag every few months. <laughs> is um, it made from like somebody's Etsy store? Some, no, some uh, lady maybe knitting something? or The that? ones I sell are made in Kansas are printed in Kansas City Union and then are made, the t-shirts and tote bags themselves are made at Union Made, I believe in Alabama. But it is a process, I tell you. It is not like your Amazon where suddenly an angel's wings carries you whatever you, you wished for uh, in your dreams the night before. Yeah, it's a long it's a long way. But yeah, merch. I I love being a business person, and also I'm not good at it. I'm not good at it. Uh, but I I love the idea of it. I love reading business books. I love open book accounting. This is a theory that if you tell everybody in your business what you're earning and all the expenses, and everyone is educated in accounting in the business, that that will in fact help the business as a whole. And uh, so I've tried to do that. I have not been able to get my friend Jackie Cation to take accounting courses with me, but oh well. Wow. Um, uh, but I, I, yeah, just, I'm all talk. I'm a lot of talk for sure. I, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I, I, I think it's, it's, it's fun. It's, it's good. Were you always into business? Oh, I don't think so. No, I thought it was embarrassing and shameful and you should never need yes. uh, need need money. And, oh, my God, you're paying me at all. No, thank you. But then when... <laughs> right. I like to pay people instead. Yeah. I like to actually pay them for my services. Yeah. Once you start gamifying it and there's a support group around it and there's, like, people going, girl, you get it. <laughs> Go get that money. Like, it's like... It just makes it so much more fun, too. And now I have a community of other comedians who I can, you know, bookend with them, which is calling someone before and after, you know, saying, okay, I'm going to ask for this much and then Mm -hmm. saying how it goes um, so that I it's more of a story in process rather than this reflection of who I am as a person. I I find that very interesting and empowering. And I think I, I did a commencement speech for my alma mater, the University of Minnesota, and they wanted me to do it for free. And I made that the speech of how, how I, a story of how I got paid uh, by my alma mater, which is I got back to them and I said, I'd like to have 20 grand uh, to do a speech. And then they came back with 10 grand. And then I had 10 grand, which I gave out to kids in the audience um, to pay down their student loans. Oh, wow. Now, 
I could have got more <laughs> to pay down their student loans had I been a better negotiator. So let's think about that. And, and that was part of the speech too. Ah. It's like saying, had I been, I could give more if I got more. So also, isn't it funny, the one place that taught me to do the thing that I was hoping to get paid for was telling me that they needed me to do something, to do something for free, that they taught me that I paid them to pay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yes. Yes. <laughs> really. Maybe it's a test. There's testing to see how good a job they did educating yeah. you. Yes. Yeah. You give a lot to charity. You actually, and we should say in the book, you actually show us ledgers of your income. I mean, yes. we actually see, is, and is yeah. that true? You're not just making that up. These, no. these are your actual numbers. I had more numbers in there. They edited them out. I wanted to have an ongoing uh, numbers of how, how much I was earning and how long it took for me to make the book over time. So how much money I had to make. Oh yeah, they don't want to show, they don't want you to show that. Well, <laughs> Anyways, I tried to put as much numbers in as I could, and um, I, I tried to put in my entire IMDb listing. They said, oh, that's not writing. That's just cutting and pasting. Oh, well, look, <laughs> they say that like it's a negative thing. <laughs> yeah, I, this, I think more people need to see this. I think people need to be aware of just how difficult this is, and because I, I think people get very uh, starry-eyed about other people's situations uh, and then feel bad about themselves. Oh yeah, no, and always be invoicing. Always invoice me. If I if you work for me, tell ask me how much am I making? I'll tell you. Then you say based on that, which what percentage of the show do you think you deserve to be paid? I will totally listen and um I haven't I haven't had anyone say, "Hey, I need a raise." Wait a minute. I did. My publicist Jess, she asked for a raise. I gave it to her. Very easy. All you got to do is ask. Sometimes, sometimes people are jackasses. Yeah. Always be invoicing. I like that. Hashtag like one Gary Glenn Ross. A-B-I. Yes, exactly. Okay. Wow. What was I? I had one last question for you, but I now have completely lost my train of thought. Oh, Scott. Okay. So your husband is a painter. So, yes. so you have, um, you're, you're both uh, in business. Nobody has a, a normal job. But how does that how does that work? Are you are you compatible? They say money is the big thing that breaks up couples. Well, it was it's been wonderful. Like Scott has been very available for talking about money, which that's all I wanted is somebody who knew what they had or didn't have. Um, I did plenty of rich guys who are real asses about their money, and they had tons of it. But they were yeah. all mad about it all the time. I was like, "What's what's going on?" Now Scott, um, he picked me up in his car, which is a nineteen ninety eight Subaru, uh, which the the bottom floor had been worn out, so you could see the road passing. <laughs> and I said, "Do you own it? Is it yours?" <laughs> he said, "Yes." I said, "Thank you." And then I think it was on our fourth or fifth date, I asked him, could I see his credit report? Um, and not because really? I want to judge, judge him. Yeah. I just wanted to know if he knew what was on there because I had dated again, many wealthy people who did not know and were pissed off about money all the time, uh, who had ex-wives had, you know, several properties who were always pissed off. And so I asked him, he said, I have $50,000 in uh, debt. I have $7,000 in credit card debt. All of it's in arrears. I said, awesome. Let's take a look. 
That's exactly what he had. That's exactly what was going on. I said, right on. High fives. High fives all around. You just wanted him to be aware of it. I just want somebody who knows where they're at and lives somewhat within their means. You Mm -hmm. know, like it's scary to be with somebody who's mad and has a ton of money and is worried about all the time. Like they have a fancy car and somehow you can't sit in the car because your skin is making it dirty. You know? (sighs) Yeah. I'm not interested. So um, Scott has been a delight. He's always been open for having financial meetings. He's gone to six debtors anonymous meetings with me just to know what I'm, what I'm doing uh, some nights of the week. And uh, he thinks it's very uh, scary. Uh, these, the joke is, uh, these people need professional help. Yes. Yes, they do. And yet none is forthcoming. And so here we are in this zoom breakout room. So you don't actually have to be in debt to be in debtors anonymous. Oh, not at all. No, I had no idea. No. And you can, and there's all sorts of groups. I mean, debtors anonymous is not the only thing available. I'm sure there's other things. There's also under earners anonymous. There's, I think there's something called Fear of Success Anonymous out of New York. No. But <laughs> only also, New York has that. Yeah. <laughs> but also, I think that certain people, like financial advisors, have groups or classes. I mean, there's all sorts of ways you can educate yourself. Personal Finance for Dummies, one of those for dummies books, is yeah. one of the loveliest books I have ever read about personal finance. Yeah, I bet. So yeah. It's just. Eric Tyson is such a kind author. It's like makes you feel like like his first whole chapter is just saying this is not about feeling ashamed or feeling behind. It's about educating yourself of things that might help you gain more stability, which uh, I found very nice. Right, right. Um, Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to go into the bonus. We're going to talk about Age. How you feel about being the age that you are, and maybe that we'll talk more about, about relationships or or, or whatever. Um, but in the meantime, is there anything uh, you want people to know about the book or anything else? No, no, it's any CTAs, as they say, CTA. call to action. Oh well, yeah, that's something you can you can buy it, or you can uh, get yourself a terrible Amazon deal where you. But don't do that. Don't do that. Go to your local bookstore. Ask for it by name. Create a relationship with your local barista at the books uh, bookhouse. Um, and I tell you, it will be fun. I know Debbie and Jeremy at Read Books on Eagle Rock Boulevard. Not only are they now good friends. Good friends, I tell you, uh, but they will tell me when a book that I wanted has come in because they have used books. Thank you very much. Oh, nice. Uh, okay. Yeah. Are you doing uh, like a tour or are, are you just sort of doing stand-up and, and you know, I'm sort just, of around the book? Yeah, or? doing my regular job. I'm doing my regular okay. job and then uh, horning in some meet and greets around that. But let's get to age. I'm 53. Are you 53? Okay, wait, we got to sign know. off. We got to, okay, so if you're, pay, we're going to, so we got to do like the regular thing for the, for okay. the, uh, the free subscribers. I'm just going to say, well, Maria, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much, Becca. Thank you. I'm 53. That was my conversation with comedian Maria Bamford. Her book, Sure, I'll Join Your Cult, A Memoir of Mental Illness and the Quest to Belong Anywhere, is out just this week. 
to hear the bonus portion of this conversation, become a paying subscriber at megandaum.substack.com. That gets you bonus content every single week. It is completely worth it. And you get other stuff too, like stuff I wrote that nobody else can see. That you can only see if you are a paying subscriber. Again, the Unspeakeasy retreats, Saturday, September 30th, our one-day retreat in Denver. Our Poconos retreat, October 23rd through 26th, is filling up quickly. For all of that and more, go to theunspeakeasy.com. I'll be back next week with another super nuanced guest. Thanks for listening. See you next time.